Now, we are in our series, The Promised Life. And most people's lives could be characterized by the phrase, the random life, the happenstance life, the hope for the best life. I just think we can live better than that, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And the reason I'm laboring this series in some senses, to me at least, is because as I'm talking to people, what people are saying to me is this, no one's ever taught me this. No one's ever taught that God wants to take His general promises and give me a specific promise about my family, about my finances, about my life, about my business, about my kids. I didn't realize you could do that. I thought you could kind of claim it like a fortune cookie uh, and it was kind of general. No, God wants to give you and me promises. Why? Well, the Bible says this. Jeremiah 29 says, for I know the plans that I have for you. So God says, I've actually got plans for you. Well, do you think God might want to share some of those plans? Do you think God might want to just throw you a bone? Here's a promise. Of course he does. Here's my plan. Here's my plan for your kids. Here's my plan for your job. Here's my plan for your life. Here's my plan for your health. Of course, if he's got plans, he wants to share them with us. He's not a secretive God. I'm holding back. In fact, in that passage of Jeremiah 29, he goes on to tell them his plans. So God's not shy in telling us his specific plan for your life or part of it. Does that help anybody? Because wouldn't, wouldn't it be great not to just be a random blunderer? It's a great word, great combination of phrase. A random blunderer. Well, I kind of blunder through life, hoping for the best, reading those stupid social media posts and trying to build my family on them. Guess what? God wants to give you promises, His great and precious promises. And so I'm laboring it because I want to teach you how. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to teach how. And I, I just really believe it's going to be phenomenal. You know, eight years ago or so, uh, we were in Destin, Florida with our global team. So we have, like I said, 13 campuses on our way to, by the end of next year, I reckon 17 campuses uh, and in four or five countries. And it's part of uh, God's mandate for us, it's a mandate for every church to go and plant and see people find Jesus. And so we are committed to that mandate. But we were in Florida and we we're having a global meeting. Our, our team had flown from all parts of the world and we were in Destin. And we were in one house, and I got up early in the morning, and so did my son Mark. He just had a one-year-old at that point, so six years ago it was. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, doing, I'm, I'm reading my devotions, reading just my Bible plan. And I'm in 2 Kings chapter 4, which is a story about a woman who's in great debt, and she goes to the prophet Elisha, and she says, they're coming to take my kids as slaves because I can't, I can't afford to pay the bills, etc. My husband's died, and... And, and, and Elisha says, so do you have any oil in your house? He said, yeah, I just got a little bit. Well, I want you to get you and your sons to go to all your neighbors and collect all these pots and just start pouring oil. And when you, uh, and so she did, she went and got all the pots and when she couldn't find any more, she obviously went to a certain level, the oil stopped flowing. He said, now go sell the oil, get your money and pay your debts. So I'm just reading that and God just speaks to me, empty pots. Boom. It's like, Ashley, if you will find empty pots, 
I will take the oil that I've put on you, that is the anointing I've put on you, the gifts on you, and I will give it to them. If you will pour it into those empty pots, you're going to find value starts to grow in the people that are under what you're doing, right? And so this is his promise. And he said, if you'll find empty buildings, I'll fill them. And I want you to pour that anointing. It was a promise to me. And it's really interesting because I'm sitting across, uh, you know, Mark was up really early. I was up at about five. Mark was up at five only because he's on his first child parenting duty. His wife hadn't slept all night. She'd woken him up. You look after Judah. So he's sitting there and he sees me reading. So he starts to read his thing. And I said, Mark, God's just spoke to me. He goes, Dad, God just spoke to me. I said, where? Because, you know, I trust myself, but that, where? <laughs> and he said, 2 Kings 4. And I said, what did he say? And he said exactly what I just said. So that was confirmation to me that what I was hearing was from God, not just my own mind. He said, if you'll pour out. So some people will pray for people and they get healed. When I pray for people, they become leaders, business leaders, leaders in the home, leaders, just for some reason. If you're around, around Pastor Jane, she prays for you, lots more is going to happen to you. Uh, I was just happy God gave me something. And so, so my job was then, and then God started giving us buildings. So we have five properties in Georgia, right? And they came about because I started looking for empty pots. I went to some pastors, uh, in fact, the head of a denomination, and I said, listen, this is a weird question. I've never done this before in my life, but I have to be, uh, I have to be honorable to what I feel God's saying to me. Just respectfully, do you have any empty pots? He goes, yeah, we have lots of them. I said, could I have a couple? He says, yeah, you can. And that began the process of us being able to acquire buildings at far, far less. How many know you? You buy low, sell high. Okay? So it's not what you sell something for. It's not what you buy it for that really makes the difference. And God just created these things for us. That came out of a promise. If you keep pouring into empty pots, I'll keep giving you all what you need. So our Gwinnett campus and our Kennesaw campus came that way. There are more on the way because he texted me this week at the prayer meeting after I was praying and I came to my mind, talk to so-and-so. I'm sitting on the front row about to start and I get a text message from him. I've not talked to him for two years. Sends me a text message. Can we meet? Yes. See, this is the life that God wants for you where he is leading you but I know when to say yes. I know when to say no. Why? Because I have a promise. I know what I'm meant to do. But imagine if I didn't. Well, I just spend my whole day doing all kinds of random things. And so promises create clarity and they became our true north. So I just want to ask you a question. As we embark on the second half of the year, you might be watching online today, and I know there are hundreds of people watching online today. Um, as we embark on the second half of the year, do you know what the next chapter is going to be? Is it going to be a good one? Now, I've been at a finance conference this week, uh, just learning all about finance. And I saw a chart that I wanted to share with you because the future doesn't look so certain if you look at the chart. So we're going to put that chart up. You'll see this is interest rates in the United States. So you see interest rates went up there in 2000, and then there was the dot-com crash. Hello? They keep raising interest rates till something breaks, and then they come down. So what broke then was the dot-com. We all know what broke in 2008, that was the housing crisis, right? We all know what happened in 2020, 
COVID. Now look at where, how, where interest rates are compared to all the peaks before a crash. Okay? This is not me making it up. Just go look at any of the feds in any of the states and just look at their charts. Look at the US interest rate charts. So what does that say to me? Now, I'm, I'm, God, you know, I'm glad that I build my life on wisdom. We're going to talk about this next week. The four lighthouse principles to have the life that's able to traverse every harbour that's full of danger. The lighthouses that help you get to the safe harbour. Jane and I, we're praying and God said, refinance your house. So we did at 2.5% for 30 years. So we did that on January 2020, just before, boom, things started going up, right? And so God wants you to live, and that was based on a promise God gave me back in 1995. He said, blessing and prosperity be yours. You will eat the fruit of your labor, and God just began to lay out all these things. That's helped me live sure and confident and decisive about the future. It doesn't matter what this chart says. You can take it down. Now we're getting depressed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter what the chart says. There are three bubbles that they say are forming right now. Housing bubble, AI.com bubble, right? And interest rates. So guess what? How do I know the future is going to be certain? Well, God wants to make it certain by giving you promises. For I know the plans that I have for you. Well, could you share some of it with me? Yes, I do want to. And then in verse 13 says, and you will find me and the promises when you search for me with all of your heart. Come to the prayer meeting tomorrow. All right, because that's how we search for God. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more. So how do you know? Well, listen to what James 4 says. Don't be like the James 4 people. Let's read this out loud together. You ready? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. How incredible is that verse in the book of James? It's saying, listen, don't just kind of make these plans based on, oh, yeah, I think we'll do this. I've got a vision board. I was listening to Tony Robbins. I've got my vision board out. I'm going after that now. Rah, 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 rah. Get a promise from God. Don't just say, well, I'll go to this city, do this business. I'll move over here for this. God wants you to be in His will. Because here's what I've heard many times, and it's a little uh, corny, but it's true. God's will is God's bill. Okay? He takes care of what he initiates. Elijah, go tell him it's not going to rain. Well, what about me? It's okay. I've got a raven going to bring you food every day. You'll be cool. God looks after us when he gives us his direction, living in his will. Don't say, well, I'm going to go do this, go do that, go do that, go do that. If the Lord will. We'll talk about the four lighthouses next week. You don't want to miss next week, I'm telling you. So let me just give you the four headlines to the lighthouse principle. Number one, Total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. You must have total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. If Jesus is not Lord of all, He's Lord of nothing. Number two, God's promises. This is what we're talking about today. Digging in. Number three, wisdom. The Bible says wisdom has built her house. So we're going to learn wisdom, right? Godly wisdom as well as wisdom we learn from other places. But let's try not to learn the wisdom of bad decisions, 
Let's learn off someone else's mistakes, not create our own and go, flip, I lost everything, I'm not doing that again. The fourth one is spiritual disciplines. These are the four lighthouses that you've got to get lined up in your life if you want to live on purpose, purposefully, and living out God's will for your life. The four things that must line up, and I'm going to talk about that next week. Right? They become the, they create, these four things when aligned, create the most powerful engine for your future. And you need the four things lined up so that your future is certain. Right? Now, last week we talked about the gap between hope, which is I hope for things to be good. I hope for my family to be okay. I hope for my finances to be okay. The gap between hope and faith, and faith is a guarantee you can move mountains with faith is a promise, right? How do I know that? Well, look back at the first person who has made a promise. The first person who's made a promise was who? Abraham, okay? And I'm gonna show you. Uh, let's read that. It says this. After these events, everyone notices the word of the Lord. Everybody say the word of the Lord. The word is the first time it appears in Scripture uh, like this. It says, after this, These events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Let's read it together. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then Abraham replies like we do. But Abraham replied, O Lord God, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, Behold, you've given me no offspring, so a servant in my house will be my heir. Next one. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one will not be your heir, but the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he's an old man. Remember when God's speaking, it's impossible. And the Lord took him outside and said, now look to the heavens and count the stars if you're able. Then he told him, so shall your offspring be. be." And what did it say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believing God is faith. What was his faith built on? A promise. He hoped to have a child, no luck so far, and a promise shifted him from hope to I believe God. You will never believe God at the levels that you want to. Yes, I trust in God. Ultimately, yes, I do, I do, I do. But for things in my life without that promise, come to the prayer meeting this week. So I'm going to talk more about it, go into more depth. I've given 15 extra minutes of the prayer meeting so I can keep depositing this truth into your heart because you're going to have to hear it a few times. Okay, so what did Abraham actually believe? He believed a promise. The promise is what made him believe. Now we have eternal life as a promise for giving our lives to Jesus, but that's just at the end of life. What about the whole of the life up till then? God wants me to live by his promises and I've been through it, but every great leader, every person who achieved anything great in the Bible did it through a promise, had a promise. Okay, Then he goes on and he says in verse 7, the Lord also told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. So what does God speak about? His family and his property. Practical things, not spiritual, practical things, but it's a spiritual thing to believe God's promises. This was a specific promise, not a general one that he plucked out of the Bible, something specific where God spoke. Now, the Hebrew word for uh, the word of the Lord is the word divar. I'm probably saying it wrongly, but in my Aussie way, divar. Okay? 
And Debar means to speak. And God comes and speaks in a vision to Abraham. So I want you to take notice of the word speak. Speak. Turn to your neighbor and say, speak. But then don't speak. All right. So it was a specific promise. Um, and the word, Hebrew word is debar. means God spoke, and in English means a spoken promise. And this is exactly what did. He made Abraham a specific promise. Now, Romans confirms it was a promise for those that doubt that it was a promise. Romans 4 says this, For the promise, oh, there it is, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. It's a promise. For the promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world was not given through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For those who live by law, by self-effort, randomness, trying to work hard, faith is useless and the promise is worthless. It's a promise, okay, that God wants us to live by. He wants to live us by promises. Abraham was given specific promises. So was Isaac. So was Jacob. So was David. So was Solomon. So was Joshua. So was Paul. So was Peter. And I could rattle on for half an hour all the other people given specific promises, not just general word. We'll talk about that in a second. Now I want to talk to you about how God gives promises. And, and, I'm, and I'm going kind of into a more teaching kind of mode. I like to, I'm an exhorter by nature, so I get more fired up about exhorting. But I'm a teacher as well. So I want to talk to you just in some, you might want to take some notes or listen to the podcast, whatever. But getting this part is going to be very, very essential for you to understand how God gives promises, right? And how we go from general promises to specific promises, Okay, now let's come over to the New Testament and let's look at the concept of word. And you will find that in our English translations or our Brazilian translations or our Spanish translations, the word, word, is translated word. <laughs> How is that shocking, hey? But in the Greek, there are two different Greek words for the word, word. And the two words for the word, word, is logos, right? Logos. And the second word is rhema. So for instance, the Bible, we got that screenshot, the Bible is the logos. It's the written word of God, the whole of the revelation of God given to us, right? That's the logos, and then rhema means, is a subset of logos, and it means a specific word to us about our lives for a specific thing. Now, let me give you some scriptures where the word of God in the Greek is the word logos, and it means the whole word of God. So Hebrews 4.12, for the word logos of God is living and active, sharper than any church's sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, to discerning of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's powerful. The Word of God, Logos, the whole of God's Word, is powerful. Okay? John 1, 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning, we know this, I learned this as a kid, in the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's talking about Jesus, right? He all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Matthew 7 Everyone then who hears these words, Logos of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the Logos is the principles and truth of God, okay? 
the Logos, the big Logos, the big picture is the truth and also the chapters that we read are the truth and part of the Logos. Now, 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, preach the Logos, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort and with complete patience and teaching. I'm still working on the complete patience. All right. So here are some examples of where the word of God is the Greek word rhema and it doesn't mean logos, it means specific or spoken word of God. Now rhema means spoken. This person's speaking into someone's ear and I want to create some visuals for those that are visual learners that the word, the word word in Greek is rhema, which emphasizes the specific word of God. Let me give you one. Luke 5.5, 5. Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, specific rhema, at your word, I will let down the nets. See how that's, there's logos, but now there's rhema. So Jesus is a logos, there's Jesus, but then he gives a specific word. That's rhema as interpreted by Scripture in the Greek, or is written in Greek now, and now in an English translation. Uh, this is an example of Peter receiving a specific promise from Jesus that applies to his situation. Romans 10, listen to this one. Consequently, faith, which is what we're talking about, comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, rhema, specific word of God. So there are people in churches who read the Bible, never get saved. Then the Holy Spirit has to come upon something and reveal it to people. They go, oh, like Peter, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a rhema, right? And it says faith comes by the specific word. The general word is the principles of God. They keep us in our big faith. But what gives us faith for a situation right now is the rhema. Does that, is that clear? I want to get this laid down because when you're reading the Bible, God wants to speak specifically to you. Now, he can do it numbers of ways. When I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading the words, suddenly, and it's happened to me many times, it's kind of how I work because my brain's so analytical and so thought-focused, uh, and so I don't trust my thoughts because I can, you know, I, I, have to, I have to have proof. Put up your hand if you're the proof kind of person. Come on, you need three proofs. You're like Gideon. Give me another proof. And that's, I'm like that, right? So I need to get a word from God that's clear and that I didn't manipulate and find it by just, let me find a good word for myself. Had to come in my daily reading or from someone, had to come that way. And what happens is I'm reading it, so I'm using my eyes, I'm reading, and then suddenly the word, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and I hear it. Faith comes by hearing, okay? So I've got to hear it in my heart, got to resonate in my mind, I've got to hear it, for it to produce faith. Make sense? Not just read it. So I can read it. It's all awesome. It's principles life. It's amazing. It's the Word of God. It is absolutely the immutable, unchangeable Word of God. It's inspired Word of God. But God wants to take those words and specifically create faith in me. Right? Now, that's how it happens for me. For others, like Pastor Jane, she'll get it from the Word. She's much more multidimensional than I am. So she gets it from the Word. And she also gets, God speaks to her in her heart, gives her pictures, gives her Instant revelation in certain circumstances. I remember a standing uh, uh, in 1994 at a block of land, and I was taking her to see three blocks of land, and this was the most expensive one. I've told you about this piece of land and how we got it. This was that piece of land. 
Jane walked right up to the back of the land. It was all flat, 800 square meters of flat land. And then it went up the back to some olive trees and there were some barbed wire fences to the other neighbors. So Jane decides to go exploring because that's Jane. We've, she said, can we, can we walk around this property and claim that it's ours? I said, sure, why not? Joshua did it. I don't have a revelation, but it's a good idea. Let's do it. She had a revelation, so let's go do it, right? Because um, you just can't pull out, you can't, unless God speaks to you, you can't just pull out general things and go, it's going to work for Joshua, therefore it's going to work for me, right? Now, if God told you, yes, it, might, it will work for you. But does, that, does that make sense? So anyway, Jane gets up the back and she, st- sorry, God told her, right? God told Jane for us to do that. So we did that. I obey my wife. That's, that's happy wife, happy life, you know. That's how that works. And so she goes up to the back, and it's probably, you know, it's probably 20 foot high as it sloped up. She got to the top, and she looked down across this vacant block. There was hardly any houses built in that subdivision yet, and there were trees hadn't grown yet completely across the riverbank. And there's a river, kind of a river slash creek. Uh, in flood season, it's a river. In dry season, it's a creek. And, but, and there was this linear park, and across the other side of that is Paradise Campus, the church. We were youth pastors. We were just youth pastors. And Jane's standing up there, and God speaks to her, one day you're going to be the senior pastors. That's a specific promise. You're going to be here a long time, he says. The second thing is, you're going to be here a long time. This is your land. Even though we hadn't bought it yet, we were just looking at it. This is your land, and you're going to be here a long time. And by the way, you're going to be the pastor of that church there. That's a promise. Right, that's God revealing by rhema, speaking, remember? It's speaking, hearing, speaking, hearing, feeling, hearing. That produces the faith, okay? Promises of God uh, are spoken, and therefore we hear them spoken into our minds or our hearts. There are many other opportunities, like, for instance, when Pastor Jane uh, prophesies over someone and she gives them a word, uh, and sometimes it's about the future, this is what's going to happen. That's a way God can communicate to us too through the prophetic and the ministry gifts that the Bible outlines. Now, promises of God are spoken. Faith is born by hearing the spoken rhema word of God. God wants to take His logos and speak to you specifically about your life. He also wants to take His logos and reveal truth about His word. And that's the same thing. It's a rhema about something you didn't understand. Oh, I get it now. That's rhema specific spoken to our hearts. Promises of God are specific. Okay, so how does this speaking to us tend to happen? Well, there's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is, it's called, it's pronounced something like this, porgar, porgar, and porgar, I'm going to put a picture up that kind of explains it. Porgar, that's not the one, oh, okay, we'll do that one, it wasn't meant to be that nasty, it's meant to be the other one, <laughs> meant to be, let's put up the other one, if we can find the other one, put up that other one, cartoon one, I didn't want it to be like, smash the car in, uh, Okay, it's all good, right? So Genesis, uh, do we have that one? Oh, you'll, get it, you'll get it ready. But put up Genesis 32.1, and it says this. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Right, that word there is the word porgar, and what it means is that Jacob wasn't expecting the angel to be there. It happened. It was like spontaneous. It came, right? It was out of the blue, it can even be forceful, but it's clear, right? And the, what I was trying to show in the picture, if we get it up, was a, a, here we go, this is a bit better. No one got hurt in this picture, all right? 
is that you're driving along, you're along, along, you're just driving along, just driving along, just driving along, and you're just having a good time, rah, rah, rah. and then suddenly, what was that? Bang! Out of the blue comes this intersection that gets your attention, right? That's what poor gar is, right? You're driving along, and then boom! Where did that come from? Because our brain thinks cognitively in logical links, but the Holy Spirit thinks spontaneously in a spontaneous flow of thoughts. A picture, a feeling. That word porga means a, a spontaneous out of the blue. Jacob wasn't preparing it. It happened serendipitously. It was an impinging of God by God on Jacob out of the blue. Um, it doesn't work by cognitive process of deduction and analysis. It's spontaneous. They'll give you another one. Ezekiel 1.1. 1, 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. That's the same word, porga. It just, I was going about my business. I was by the river Chebar and suddenly the heavens opened. Boom. That's a porga. That's kind of out of the blue, right? That's how the Holy Spirit tends to work. He's not working with your analysis because your analysis creates paralysis. Your analysis creates uh, what's the word? Manipulation. Your, your mind, the hammer always finds the nails. So your mind will always find the verse that you want. Right? That's why you've got to understand how God works. Who's ever been driving somewhere? I'm not, and that was a bad picture, the first one. But you're driving somewhere and somebody's face came to your mind just out of the blue. You thought, I wonder how they are. I should give them a call. Put up your hand if that's ever happened. That's poor guy. Right? You weren't thinking about them. You haven't thought about them for months. And then boom. Whew, what was that? I wonder how Mary is. That's a poor guy. Right? That's an intersection spontaneously. That's how God works when he comes to speak to us. For look for those. So when that happens, you start praying for them. You just had a Holy Spirit moment telling you to pray for so-and-so or calling them. That's a simple one because most people have had that happen to them. And it's an easy way to understand how it works. So how many promises can you expect to get in life? I don't know exactly, of course. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you. But biblically, each of the people I've researched received about five big promises in life, specific, big specific promises. And you might get 10 little ones as well, right? So five big promises, four big promises. When I do my research, it's like that's how many I find in each of these characters. Five big promises, and that matches up with my life. Now that I've lived a long time, it matches up with what's happened. Now I want some more. So I'm going to the prayer meeting tomorrow. I want some more. I literally have. As I've been preaching about the promises of God, I'm like, God, it's about time I got another promise. Anyone want a promise? Okay. Only the ones with the hands that raised are going to get one, I promise you. So if you couldn't raise your hand, you're not going to Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Move on. I'm only joking. So how do you get a promise? Position yourself. Everybody say, position yourself. I'll tell you a story, right? I've got 10 minutes maximum, and then I'm going to be finished. Um, tell you the story. Back in the day, I was a footballer, and I was a very good footballer. I don't have humility as one of my great gifts, but I was very good at football, and I was heading towards a pro career, and then God interrupted that. So then later on, in my 30s, I decided to take up basketball. Now, I'm built like a footballer, not like a basketballer. I tackle like a footballer, not like a basketballer as well. I, I said, you're not allowed to do that. Why can't I take him down? He's got the ball. 
And I had to learn, right? And I was just hopeless at it, honestly. No, I was, I was okay, but I wasn't great. And I was in the youth group, right? I was in the, you know, these are 25 years, young adults. We were playing these games and I wanted to play. So I started playing. And uh, I remember, I'm used to being on sporting teams where if I ask for the ball, the ball is passed to me. Because I was the good player. Pass it over. And guess what? I'm playing basketball and I yelled out a thousand times, pass me the ball. I'm your youth pastor. Give me the ball. Or you're out. Find another youth ministry. No, I didn't say that. That's just what I thought. After being ignored a hundred times, right? And nobody would pass me the ball. Nobody would pass me the ball. I'd be running down the court. Pass me the ball. Pass me the ball. Nobody passes me the ball. Everyone just shuts me out. Pass me the ball. I'm good. No one's listening. No one passed me the ball. And then it dawned on me after about the fourth week when nobody was passing me the ball and I was getting, you know, my, my fragile ego was getting damaged. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, and I was talking to someone, and it suddenly dawned on me. I was running. I was not as fit as the guys. I hadn't played for a while. And they were running down. They were already in the key, setting up, and I was about 10 yards behind them, yelling, pass me the ball. Like I'm Steph Curry, coming in for a three-pointer. Nobody's passed me the ball. And I realized, as simple as this is, nobody's passing the ball to me because I'm not in position to receive the ball. So I can yell all I like, pass me the ball. Nobody's responding. Why? Because if you're not in the right position, the ball's not coming. The same thing is with God. How does God give you His promises? By you being in the right position. It's not a yoga position either. I'm talking about you've got to be in the right position, the right posture. You've got to be ready. You've got to be where God's speaking, where God's moving. Right? You've got to be in prayer in the morning. You've got to be in a place where God can pass you the ball. You're saying, God, I want this, I want that. He says, well, spend some time with me. Create the atmosphere. Create the moment where I can speak to you. I want to pass you my great and precious promises. I want to tell you about the thing that you can't figure out. I want to help you with your children that are driving you crazy. I want you to give you confidence about the business you think you're supposed to go and take over. I want to talk to you, but you better position yourself to hear him. It says Samuel, remember Samuel, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, was lying by the ark of the presence, it represented the presence of God. He was lying there in the temple, and as a little boy, as a young boy, God speaks to him. And it says at the beginning of the chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, I think it is, it says this, the voice of God was very rare in those days. Where was Samuel? Right in the right position to hear about the future of Israel. And as a boy, God downloads it to him. You're going to be in the right place. Now, God can speak to you anywhere, of course. God's like that. But God has created rules and He's created principles by that work better. Being in the right place. Positioning yourself. And we'll talk more about that. You know, you heard me talk about this last week. As I positioned myself when I was sick, Right? The dark night of the soul for me. That just went on uh, for over a year. It was so, so difficult. God gave me a promise about my family. Gave me a promise about my life. Gave me commands about never worrying again. And he opened my eyes to why I should never worry about anything. I was proud of my worrying. And it was my worrying that got me to my burnout. 
The worrying, I thought, the worrying part forces the creativity out of me. Like the worrying part's when my back's against the wall, and that's when I'm my best. When my back's against the wall, watch out. I'm at my best. But what he said to me, bad way to live, living on empty. You don't need to live like that. I've got it. And he began to tell me how not to live a life of worry. Right? Who'd like to not live a life of worry? Come on, put up your hand. Anyone here? There might be three of us. Okay. And so God spoke to me about my family. You've heard me talk about, blesses the man who fears the Lord. What I was worried about at the time the most was we'd spent 15 years investing in all these young adults and young people. We had given our lives. I was working 100 hours a week. That's why I had a burnout. 100 hours a week, right? Worrying about everything, 100 hours a week. Building this youth ministry that was huge. The largest in Australia at the time. It was massive and God was blessing it. And then boom, I'm out of it. And I was like, God, I've done all this work for you, and now I'm not going to have any of it. God, I've worked. You know. And one day, literally the 2nd of April, 1995, sitting in church, Psalm 128. And this is the verse that stood out to me. There were many verses that later on stood out to me too, but this verse, you will eat the fruit of your labor. What was I worried about? I've done all this work, and I'm going to get nothing. And he says, you will eat the fruit of your labor. And I went, Oh, really? I thought I'm lost, done, finished. And I am. I became the senior pastor of that church. God's amazing. One of the promises that God gave me, and I'll finish with this, and as soon as I finish, Anderson can just start with you playing. You can start playing now. That'll encourage me to finish earlier. Oh, it's beautiful. Just sit back, relax. Oh, very nice. So one of the promises God gave me was about my sons. Now, funny enough, we don't have time to go into this, but in 995, I read it in the NIV, and it says, children. We didn't have Ben then. We only had Mark and Nathan. By the way, that beautiful blonde girl that was telling you to do the pre-save, that's my daughter-in-law. She sings on the album, and she's married to my middle son, Nathan. And... God's blessed them. That's my other son with four children. And we don't want any children from my 20-year-old at this point. <laughs> and he said, children. And then when Ben was born, we had, at that point, thought a girl would finish our family. But God had a better plan, which is to give us a boy. So after we cried for 15 minutes and said, okay. So the, the other boys were being such bad teenagers. She goes, I don't want one of those. Sure enough, that's what God gives us. I look back only two years ago to that scripture in 1 Psalm 128 in another translation. And I looked at it in the Hebrew because I wanted to make sure. And that word children actually says sons. And I'm like, see, God knew. That promise he gave me 10 years before Ben was born was about sons. He couldn't have given me a girl. His plan had always been sons. And I said, wow, this is amazing. Anyway, because of that promise, we believe for things to happen to them. And they do. We speak it over their lives. We pray it over them. Even when they're being terrible. <laughs> speak it over their life. We prophesy over their pillow. Seriously. I've lived knowing that my children would be 
what God told me they were going to be because God gave me a promise. If he hadn't given me a promise, I'd be like, pulling my hair out. Well, I did that a long time ago, so maybe I wasn't sure. No. I wouldn't be sure, right? But God wants to give that to you. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. God wants to give you promises. Because I'm not special. I'm just one of God's children like you are. If you know God, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, then you have the right to the promises of God. God's a farmer that sows seeds of promises. Because remember, a promise is a seed of what the future will turn out to be in its fullness. I need that seed. The Bible talks about God sows seed. What is that seed? They're promised seeds that ignite my faith. The gap between hope and a faith life is promise. That's why we give our lives to Jesus. He says, if you'll give your life to me, I promise that you'll be with me forever. And on the basis of the promise, we give our life to Him. And for some of us in this room, I just feel, again, I hope you understand the difference between the spoken word and the written word and the logos and the rhema and all those kinds of things and the porgar, the intersection. Bad picture, but you got the message. Gets your attention. God wants to do that. And I believe coming into this new season, how do you know it's going to be good? How do you know with interest rates at ridiculous levels? How do you know with the bubbles forming? How do you know? You can know, or you can just blunder in. I choose to know. <laughs> put up your hand if you want to know. You want God to give you some guarantees. Come on, put up your hand. Okay. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to put up, just put up the other hand as well. Just raise your hands to God. I'm going to pray for you. Remember this week, there's five opportunities to put yourself in the right position so God passes you the ball. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person whose heart is open to you today, that understands and gets this, that you wanna bless us with your great promises for our children and our families and our finances and our homes. And Lord, if you wanna speak to us, our marriages, I pray that you would deposit seeds this week Lord, those little packages that are the signs of the future that's going to be definite and on purpose. Father, I pray from today our hearts would be more open next week as we go into the next section of how to receive. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd open our lives, open our hearts and use us in a very powerful way, we pray in Jesus' name.